Reclaim half your bookshelf by listening to Reading Women, a podcast where co-hosts Autumn and Kendra discuss books by or about women and interview contemporary female authors, like most recently Anjali Sachdeva, author of the short story collection All the Names They Used for God. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcatcher. Reading Women is a bi-weekly podcast where the co-hosts discuss books based on a monthly theme. Past interviews include conversations with Min Jin Lee, Sarah Perry, and Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. Visit Reading Women's website to, dis- to subscribe to their newsletter and to learn more about their yearly reading challenge. Find them on Twitter, Instagram, and Litzy at The Reading Women, or visit readingwomenpodcast.com. to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 156, and today we are talking about books being released on May 1st, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. Hi, lady. You're about to go on vacation. Yeah, I have vacation brain. That's Uh, great. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. Everyone's like, where are you going? And I'm just like... I just want to read books. I just my couch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going to my couch. <laughs> it's, it's been like five years since I've taken a week off, so I'm kind of excited to just sit and read and read. But I have decided that I'm mostly going to read backlist and reread like books that I loved, like a couple, like some books that I read for the for the show that I feel like I kind of had to like cram them in because I wanted to read them for the show and I want to go back and like read them again slower, like um, Little Fires Everywhere. And, um, uh, girls, uh, I lost all my words now. I'd, what's, what's girls burning brightly? No. Oh, yes. I was about to say they're, they're, so, yeah, girls burning. Yeah. That's a title, right? Yes. Like, I have a vacation brain. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. Plus my brain is just so like out of whack because of this week, mostly because of the Golden State Killer news. Like, oh know, my gosh. The Michelle McNamara book was like a huge book when, when it came out, I talked about it. I was really excited about it. I've been reading everything I can about it. And then to, like, wake up the other day to everybody texting and tweeting and messaging me, like, you know, hey, did you see they caught him? That was just, like, mm-hmm. like you know, and, and I cannot keep my brain, like, in on the track anymore. <laughs> you know, I never, I never thought that was something that was going to be solved. Like, you know, there's just going to be, like, another and one of those timing. things. It's yeah. so uncanny. Two months after that book comes out, it's just... Yeah. What a time to be alive. It's crazy. Mystery salt. Yeah. And well, speaking... Well, I mean, I guess. An arrest doesn't necessarily mean, you know, whatever. Well... All, all the asterisks apply. But it, DNA evidence, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was watching the... I was watching the press conference, and they and it was like... They were like, we don't want to really say anything about anything. But since then, they've been... Like, all the people involved have been giving a ton of interviews saying, like, yes, it's a 100% match... Yes, it's this guy. Like, there's no doubt. You know, so, I mean, I'm assuming it. it's salt. Um, But speaking of mysteries, we are still doing our mystery giveaway. Mm -hmm. We're giving away 15 of the best new mysteries of the year so far, all from diverse authors. The giveaway is open until May 9th. Uh, I am blanking on all of the titles at the moment. What do we have? Um, There's some Ozma... Zehanat Khan, there's some Walter Mosley, uh, Widows of Malabar Hill, which is a really, really great new mystery series that takes place in Bombay in the 20s, and the the um, protagonist is the first female lawyer in India, and so she solves murders. It's just great fun. There's a lot of really, really good things on there. Excellent. So if you would like to enter to win, you can go to bookriot.com slash mystery giveaway, 
and tell us your name and you'll be entered and you could win mysteries, which is exciting. So, uh, because I have mysteries on the brain besides vacation, um, would you like to hear about my first book? It is indeed a mystery. It's called What You Want to See by Kristen Lepianka. It features her detective Roxanne Weary. Uh, Her book, The Last Place You Look, came out last year. That was the first in the series. It's out in paperback today, uh, but you do not have to have read it. I know, like, I'm a stickler for, like, reading things in order, but I only read these in order because that was how I received them. But you do not have to, like, know anything about the last book to read this book and enjoy it. And it was exactly what I wanted. I feel like after a couple of years of reading, like, these supernatural mysteries and these, like, did she or didn't she, like, unreliable narrator mysteries, I just wanted a whodunit, like, where somebody looks for the clues, puts them together, goes in search of things, and finds the answers. And this was exactly what I wanted. And so Roxanne Weary, she's a private investigator. Uh, She's the daughter of a police officer who was killed in the line of duty. In the first book, she was kind of a mess. She was still dealing with the death of her father. Um, She has cleaned up her act quite a bit in this second book. Um, And she has sort of made amends with her ex-girlfriend. Her ex-girlfriend is like the love of her life, but they can't seem to get it together to be together. And she was having some some not-so-healthy relationships. But now, like, they've sort of made amends and they're friends again. Um, And so Roxanne has been hired by a man to follow his wife. He is getting married soon and he thinks that... Or not his wife, excuse me, his fiancé, obviously. He was like, that that would be silly. Um, It's his (laughs) fiancé. He's supposed to be getting married. He has a lot of money. He thinks that his fiancé is stepping out on him. Um, do the kids even use that expression anymore? He the thinks kids. <laughs> he thinks she's cheating on him. Uh, so Roxanne follows her around for a little bit. She doesn't find any evidence of that. But before she can even really like do anything about it, his fiance is killed in a supposed mugging. There's like a, a big argument that he and his fiance have at a restaurant. She storms out. Uh, she's found dead in an alley. And so now the police think, like, well, they were seen fighting in this restaurant. Her, the, the client, uh, Roxanne's client is obviously responsible. Like, he must have done this. Um, so now he wants her to find out who killed his fiancé. Like, the stakes are higher. Um, and before, like, that even starts, someone opens fire on his business. Um, and he is injured, and people are killed. And now it's, like, this whole mess. And as Roxanne digs into the, into the mystery... Uh, her investigation uncovers con men and vendettas and the mob and family grudges and murder that goes way back. So it's just like a, a really uh, fast-paced, well-told whodunit. Like, you know, here's what's happening. We're going to find the clues. We're going to solve the mystery. It, it's great. I, I really love this series. So again, it's called What You Want to See, and it's by Kristen Lepianca. Okay, my first pick is a memoir. It's called The Electric Woman, A Memoir in Death-Defying Acts by Tessa Fontaine. And I loved this book so much. So uh, Tessa was, was, is, not is, was. (laughs) Oh my gosh, verbs are hard. Uh, The electric woman in the country's last traveling sideshow. And so this happened because her mother with whom she was not particularly close. She had a very complicated relationship uh, with her mother, had a stroke, and it left her um, wheelchair-bound, unable to speak or really communicate, uh, and this really broke Tessa in a lot of ways. It'll remind you a lot of Wild or H's for Hawk, if you've read those books. And so in in response, like, she doesn't know what to do with her feelings. She just feels like she has to run away from this situation, Um 
because, you know, now it's too late, right? Her relationship with her mother was really broken and now she doesn't know how to fix it since her mom can't speak to her. So she literally runs off and joins the circus. Um, so it is called The World of Wonders. Um, and it's not not circus so much as carnivals. And so the memoir follows both her mother's attempts at recovery and also Tessa's summer um, on the road with this traveling sideshow, the last traveling sideshow. Um, and she starts off with... You know, she has no experience. She's a complete noob. Um, nobody trusts her. Nobody really likes her. And so she starts off really low on the rung of traveling performers and has, uh, you know, really boring um, kind of tasks. Or not boring, but boring to people who work in a traveling slideshow because it's the sort of stuff that you do when you first get hired. So she's in charge of, like, holding the snake, the boa constrictor, and pretending that she can hypnotize people with it. Um, she learns how to you know, swallow fire and all of those sorts of things, which are actually kind of like not that impressive, I guess, in the world of sideshow performing. And then throughout the summer, she gradually becomes physically stronger and learns how to do more of the acts and is kind of accepted into this troupe of traveling performers until she works her way up to being the electric woman, which is, um, she sits on this like in what is an like an old electric chair and uh, presses on a contact plate with the light bulb in her mouth and it like lights up and all that. But the best part of the book is her description of all of the people that she was traveling with. Like, what are what kind of people really do travel with carnivals in the year of our Lord, 2018? Like, who still does that? Who are these people? Um, and it is such an interesting mix of humanity. And they have really, like... Fast, sociologically fascinating class structures within the traveling carnival like there's the performers and then there are the carnies and then there are the bosses and like none of them really interact together and there are a lot of rules for when they do um but when she's traveling when she's spending the summer traveling with this uh sideshow you know they they travel through the south and a bit of the midwest in like july it's 120 degrees outside and she's wearing a corset there's no bathrooms there's no air conditioning you know they live in like a trailer it's very like dirty and smelly and grungy and she's surrounded by these people uh who she doesn't have anything in common with while she's dealing with her mother's illness so it's like beautiful writing in the same way that you know when you're reading wild and cheryl Strait is having all of these epiphanies about life and her relationship with her mother and writing these beautiful sentences while her toenails fall off it's the same sort of thing like she's having tessa is having these epiphanies about her relationship with her mom and what she wants to do with her life um and, you know, like society as a whole writing these beautiful sentences about her experience while her makeup drips on her face and she tries to learn to swallow a sword and just throws up everywhere. Like it's gross and gritty, but beautiful. And I just really, really loved it. So that's The Electric Woman by Tessa Fontaine. Fantastic. It's what? still me, yes? Yes. Would you like to tell us about today's for second sponsor? Second sponsor? Yes, I would, because I'm wearing <laughs> them right now. So our second sponsor is Warby Parker, which is a new concept in eyewear. These are contemporary eyeglasses that are super affordable, fashion forward. Uh, Warby Parker really thinks that glasses should be viewed more as like a fashion accessory, like your, your shoes or a tie or a hat, and be affordable and easy to acquire in that same way as opposed to like a plane ticket, which is what a lot of glasses um, cost. So this is a try-at-home system. You go online, you pick five pairs of glasses that you think look neat. They're shipped directly to you. You can try them on in your ho own house, get feedback from your friends and family. What I did is I picked the three that I liked best, and then I put them on Instagram and had all of my followers tell me which ones they liked. Um, and then you, you uh, the one that you like, it, you indicate that on the website, upload your prescription, and then they ship it 
ship it to you. All, all of the glasses start at $95, uh, including your prescription lenses. The lenses include the anti-glare, anti-scratch coatings. And for every pair that you buy, a pair of glasses is distributed to someone in need. Um, the shipping is free. The return shipping is free. So easy. You know, your dog can do it. So go to warbyparker.com slash all the books to order your free home try-ons today. You pick the five that you like, uh, try them on, mail the frames back. And that's, that's, that's it. It's super, super easy. Oh, and if you have an iPhone X, you can download the Warby Parker app and use their find your fit feature, which uses the iPhone X's true depth camera to map your facial features. And then it recommends the frames that are likely the best fit for your face, which is, you know, the future is now we live in the Jetsons. Um, so if you want to see an example, you can go onto my Instagram and look at my selfies where I'm, I'm wearing my glasses. They're really cute. They're rose gold. Um, and bonus, this is not in the talking points that they send us, but y'all will find this interesting. All of their frames are named after authors. Uh, I don't remember which ones mine are, but I almost kept the um, Eudora Welty frames just because they were called Eudora Welty. They did not look <laughs> very good on me, but I really wanted to be wearing Eudora Welty glasses. They weren't cute, but the ones that I have are super cute now. So yeah, go to warbyparker.com slash all the books, get some glasses for 95 bucks that are super cute. All right, Liberty. So today, uh, my next pick, also a mystery. Well, not so much a mystery, but like kind of a mystery. I just have mysteries on the brain. Uh, it is The Lonely Witness by William Boyle. Um, I don't know what I was expecting with this book. I guess I think I was expecting like a straight mystery and it's not that at all. Um, I saw Megan Abbott raving about it, so of course I picked it up as soon as I could because she's awesome and I wanted to read it. And it's really good. It's about a woman named Amy. She's in her 30s. Uh, she used to be like this wild party girl. She lived in LA. She like left home as soon as she could and moved to LA and she lived this wild like rockabilly lifestyle and she had these dangerous romances with with scary women, you know, like the, like really volatile, like abusive women and um she moved back to New York City with one of these women I uh, went through a bad breakup and it just really it ruined her and so she turned to God like she was walking around one day and she went into a church and remembered how much she enjoyed going to church when she was young and she turned to God and oh my goodness I didn't even learn how to say this word she became a Eucharistic minister is that is that what I want um she became a Eucharistic minister uh, and now she, as part of her duties at the church, she delivers communion to uh, people who can't leave their homes. So she has um, one such patron uh, that she visits, and she goes to see her one day, and the she's an elderly lady, and she tells Amy that um, the son of the woman who usually comes to look after her and, and uh, clean her house and take care of her uh, showed up at her house, like let himself into her home with his with his mother's key and was rifling around in her stuff and saying like, oh, I'm just helping you straighten up and stuff, but she didn't trust him. Uh, and she's trying to call his mother and and his mother's not answering the phone. Um, and so Amy comes back the next day because the, the nurse is supposed to come back and, and she's worried that the son will come back. And he does indeed come back and he's like this neighborhood tough and he's he kind of scares Amy and he scares the older woman. And so Amy decides to follow him and see like what he's up to because like why isn't his mother answering the phone? And, and she ends up following him around the neighborhood and she witnesses his murder. Um, and so it's not like, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm spoiling anything by telling you like, She's, she wants to find the murderer, like, she wants to figure out who they are, but it's it's not, like, a secret to any of us. Like, we know, like, who it is when it happens. Um, 
But we also learned that when Amy was young, she was looking out her bedroom window and she witnessed her neighbor murder someone and she never told anyone. The man threatened Amy and said, if you ever tell, you know, you'll be in so much trouble. And she never did tell anyone, but she became obsessed with like following her neighbor around and seeing what else he got up to. And this is the sort of thing that happens in this case too. She feels the same way and she's obsessed with like finding the murderer and like tailing people. And it's, which sounds like really weird, right? Like, why isn't this woman going to the cops? But he writes it in such a way that it's like this beautiful story about Amy. And, and she has like abandonment issues. There's a story with like the man, her father, who left her when she was very young. And then her mother died and she ended up living with her grandparents because of it. Um, she's very lonely, hence the lonely witness. And, you know, I at first I thought like, oh, she's not going to go to the cops. Like she's going to like try and solve this herself. But... It, it really works. Like, the way he writes the story, he's a very uh, uh, established writer, and he's he's fantastic. And so I just found it so interesting. It's like this really quiet, sad, almost mystery. Um, and I loved it. Again, it's called The Lonely Witness, and it's by William Boyle. Okay. Um, I have an epic fantasy, uh, the first in an epic fantasy series for you guys. It's called Song of Blood and Stone. It's by L. Penelope. And this one has an interesting story, not, I mean, story as in plot, but also the story behind the book, and that uh, it came out in 2016, and it was self-published. She self-published it. And it won the self-publishing ebook award from the Black Caucus of the ALA, the American Library Association. The author is black, and the main character is a black girl. Um, and then it was picked up by St. Martin's Press. And so it has been reissued uh i guess yeah reissued uh, in hardcover from saint martin's press and the cover is beautiful everybody go look at it um so the main character's name is jasminda and she lives on the border uh, between these two countries that are separated by what's called the mantle which is a wall of magic that keeps the two countries separate um she lives in alcira where most of the people are pale and kind of gingery um but her father was a refugee from I don't remember the name of the country, but the land beyond the border. Um, and he had very dark skin. And the people who live in that part of the world have magical abilities. They call it Earth Song, um, where they can do a variety of things. They can heal, they can fly, um, they can manipulate the weather. And so she lives in Elsira, but she looks like she's from this other land. And she also does have a weak but present magical ability. Um, and so no one in her country wants her there. These countries have been at war for centuries. Um, and since she looks like she comes from the other, you know, the other place with the capital O, she's treated really poorly. Her parents are gone, uh, dead, and her brothers are dead. So she lives by herself. She's a goat herd uh, up on the mountains, mostly hiding from her neighbors and trying to keep her, her land, which is about to be taken away from her for tax, per, because of taxes. Uh, and then one day, some soldiers come to her cabin they're searching for a spy who um she has discovered is on her property uh and so she has to house them um and then while they are you know recovering from their wounds and and waiting for orders to escort the spy um to their headquarters or whatever she realizes um that she is maybe on the wrong side. Like there's a lot of complicated kind of political stuff going on there, there. And also that this, the, the spy who they've captured is super cute. <laughs> um, and is, he's super cute. Did I mention he's super cute? And so they start having like that. She starts like sneaking him food and sneaking him 
healing moments with her magic. And then she starts sneaking him like knives. <laughs> and so then they escape um, and they go on the run. And then just like everything falls up. This is just generalized shenanigans. Um, it's a very, this political situation explodes. The mantle falls and the other, the people from the other countries start invading. There's like a refugee situation because the leader of the other country is called the true father. And his goal is to get the mantle down so he can invade both countries and kind of take over the world as we know it. Um, and he has been, he sucks the magic out of all the people who live in his country. He calls it a tribute. He sucks the magic out of them and has been using that to stay alive for centuries and centuries and centuries. So he's kind of like this all powerful being. Um, and then the, all of this political intrigue happens. You learn some really cool secrets about Jack, who's the guy, the spy that she discovers on her land, um, who she nurses back to health. And then Jasmine just finds herself, you know, she's like a goat herd from the side of a mountain and suddenly she's embroiled in all these, this political Game of Thrones style um, intrigue and there's all this magic stuff happening and really relevant um, themes about refugees and what countries that take in lots of refugees uh, do when they're running out of resources. Like, do they have a responsibility to feed, you know, quote unquote, their own citizens before they feed people who are fleeing terrible situations in their own lands? Um, but it's also very fat, like it's a fast paced, action-y, epic adventure, um, you know, a kind, of, kind of spy thriller with fantasy um so i like read it really really quickly even though you know it's epic fantasy and that stuff you know world building takes a little bit to kind of get used to and to get into but i didn't find that at all here sometimes i struggle a little bit with wrapping my head around worlds that authors are building when they're not necessarily familiar to me um but i didn't have that at all here and jasminda is a great great character um and i love that the romance between the two of them was just upfront. like like the author was not hiding the fact that these two characters meet fall in love and then spend, you know, the next 300 pages battling for the right to be together amidst all of this other stuff. So it's got a little bit of something for everybody. So that Song of Blood and Stone by L. Penelope. I have that on my list to read. The cover's amazing. Yeah. The book is also really very good. good. The cover is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, my next pick is Mr. Flood's Last Resort by Jess Kidd. Uh, she wrote himself which was one of my favorite books two years ago now. I just absolutely loved it. And this is another wildly inventive, charming, darkly comedic, slightly supernatural Irish tale, just like himself. And you have to just kind of go with it. It's it's not an easy start. Like, just trust me. Just keep going. Um, you have to get... Just, just Kid's brain is like nothing else. I mean, I'm obsessed. I want like 50 more books from her. And it's... It doesn't, like, when you you have to get used to her language and her cadence and the words that she chooses to use. It's so, everything about it is unusual, but it's so good and just, just trust me and you'll sink yourself into it. It's about a woman named Maud. She is a caregiver. She has accepted the position of taking care of Mr. Flood. He is an elderly hoarder who lives in this giant mansion. His house is just full of trash and a million cats, and he's very mean, and he's kind of scary, and, but she, you know, some, he's gone through, like, so many caregivers. Like, nobody wants to, to do, have anything to do with him. The house gives them the creeps. They don't like him. You know, when someone says, like, you know, what makes you think that, you know, you can take care of Mr. Flood? And she's like, well, I really need the money. And I'm not afraid to, like, kick an octogenarian in his hole. Oh, can we say that? Like, is that, is that acceptable? <laughs> I just said that. Um, 
But, you know, so she goes and, and she does indeed get the creeps from him. And, but she needs the money. She's also very lonely and she doesn't, she, which I'm going to get to in a minute. I'll explain to you why that is. Um, but, so she starts working there and the house offers up a secret to her um, in the form of a photograph. It kind of, there's like some supernatural things going on. This bottle with a, with a photo inside floats to the top of the sink and it turns out there's a photo and she knows that the young man in the photo is Mr. Flood's son. She's aware that he has a son, but there's another a young girl in the photo, she doesn't know who she is. And then she finds out that Mr. Flood's wife died many years ago um, in a fall, but some people didn't think it was an accident. So now she's here in this house. Um, she has her own, so she has her own secrets. Um, and she's holding herself responsible for something that happened when she was young. And she doesn't feel that she deserves happiness. You know, she thinks she's a bad person. So she has that going on. And she's also, she sees people who aren't there. So... There's all kinds of weirdness going on in this home. So, like, is Mr. Flood really dangerous? Who knows? Uh, but with the help of a fox, you know, because they're, you know, so helpful, and some ghosts, she's going to get to the bottom of Mr. Flood's mystery, the secret of the girl in the photo, and what's going on in the house. It's so weird. I don't even think I did it justice. But it's, it's like, it's so weird. If you're thinking, like, cranky old man, like, a man called Ove, it's, this is nothing like that. Um, this is so different and, and, like, unusual, but beautiful and scary. And I just, I could use a million more adjectives to describe it. Um, but I, I just loved it. Again, it's called Mr. Flood's Last Resort, and it's by Jess Kidd. Let's Hello? talk about our yes. Oh, next there you sponsor are. <laughs> is you. Sorry, I was waiting. I was waiting for a good segue, but nothing came to my brain. Um, so I just sat there in silence, which is really a great skill for a podcaster to have sitting in silence. No, I, it it's now the sponsor, and it's me. So like, I can say, like, <laughs> I was just so wrapped up in like thinking about Mr. Flood's last resort that I didn't look at my notes, and then I'm like, did I lose her? <laughs> no. So our last sponsor this week is The Black Witch by Lori Forrest from Harlequin Books. It is a powerful, uh, epic fantasy, perfect for fans of Harry Potter and Tamara Pierce. Uh, it's set in an imaginative and intoxicating university where people from all sorts of magical races, backgrounds, and cultures must coexist and cooperate. It follows one team named Elorian, who is forced to confront her own people's dark history. In the process, she discovers that sometimes acting heroic means giving up on the hero she was born to be and instead learning to trust the very people she was taught to hate and fear. With a diverse cast of complex and captivating characters and a rich, detailed world, this fast-moving, page-turning plot will suck you in completely. New York Times bestselling author Robin Hobb calls it refreshing and powerful, and New York Times bestseller Tamora Pierce calls it whole new thrilling approach to fantasy. So don't miss this powerful story about challenging beliefs, confronting prejudice, and battling oppression. Again, it's The Black Witch by Lori Forrest, and it's available now wherever books and audiobooks are sold, and we thank them for sponsoring. We will have a link to it in the show notes. All right, now it's you! <laughs> Me. Okay. Um, I am going to talk about another memoir. Apparently, this is a thing I'm doing right now called The Very Worst Missionary, a memoir or whatever by Jamie Wright. Um, this actually came out a little bit earlier this year, April 3rd from Convergent Books. And this is a new book in the subgenre of theological writing that I have started calling Jesus was cool, but Christians are the worst, um, which I am probably not the first one to say something like that, or to come up with some kind of subgenre like that. But uh, Jamie Wright is a really popular Christian blogger. Her blog is called Jamie the Very Worst Missionary. 
And she started off as an evangelical Christian, married very young with, you know, three kids. Um, Her and her husband decided to become missionaries, and they moved to Costa Rica, took their kids with them um, to do that thing with very little – they didn't speak Spanish – They had no background or um, education in the history or culture of Costa Rica. Um, And, you know, they felt like that kind of Christianese thing where we have been called and God will give us the tools and we will just go and it'll be fine. Um, And this is super common in missionary culture, as I'm sure any of you who are listening who have grown up in the church will know. Um, And so she went and while they were there, they realized that the current missionary structure for the evangelical church specifically is terrible. It's racist. It's colonialist. It's based almost entirely on colonial attitudes and colonial societal structures. Um, They went to Costa Rica and there's a church on every corner there and nobody needed them basically. Uh, And also why would you go to a country to try to build communities and churches when you don't even bother to learn to speak the language? So she had this slow awakening. They were there for a while um, and she slowly realized that not only was she not helping, she was probably hurting the cause of the church in general and the cause of going somewhere and being of use to a a, a group of people. And then so she, while all this, all the while this was happening, she was writing this blog about her experiences there. And it was not initially called Jamie the Very Worst Missionary. It was just a blog about her and her family being missionaries with all of the Christianese that comes with it and the hashtag blessed kind of nonsense. Uh, but then as she started to have these realizations, um, both about her own experience and about the the broader concept of missionary-ing, um, she changed it. And her, her blog started to change and the tone started to change. What she was talking about started to change. And she started both becoming more famous and more really kind of ostracized and criticized by the evangelical church, which is where she lands now. And that's what this book is about, is her um, kind of journey, I guess, from being a very typical evangelical soccer mom to what is now a political activist and a very outspoken critic, but still member of the Christian church. So uh, I don't know. I, I really... I think there are a lot of us out there who grew up in church or are still attending and still have that faith, but it doesn't look anything like what it did when we were kids or, or even anything like what it did before the election. Um, so I'm, I'm really like here for all of these memoirs that have just started coming out, like Jen, Jen Hatmaker's latest book, also uh, Glenn Doyle Melton, these, these women uh, who are speaking out about those kinds of issues in the church when we've never really had anybody to do that before. So she's very cursy, I will say. Like if you're out here looking for some Christian writing and you don't like F-bombs, this is not the book for you. This is like 90% F-bombs and jokes about her anatomy. So that's what's happening. But it's super funny and very honest. And she makes a lot of really important points about being a missionary and uh, what that entails and the kind of tourism how 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 we use it as a as like a sponsored tourism basically. So if you're if you're interested at all in any of those things, do go check that out. So that's the very worst missionary by Jamie Wright. I need to read that. Mm. You will not mind the cursing. No. So. I'm fine no. with that. <laughs> I was very here for it. <laughs> My last pick this week is a Lucky Man stories by Jamel Brinkley. Uh, I have to admit, I've only read four of the nine stories in this book. I heard about this book everywhere. It's on everyone's, like, must-read list. It's getting so many amazing reviews. And I had it at the top of my to-buy list when I go to the bookstore, but 
I got my hands on a copy last night, so I started reading it this morning. And I've read four of the stories, and just based on those four stories, I'm recommending it on the strength of those alone because it's fantastic. It's the nine stories are about uh, young men who live in the Brooklyn and the Bronx. They are stories of identity about what it means to be a black man, what it means to be a black man in America. Um, they talk about like how they were raised, where their beliefs come from, uh, the important people in their lives, and. But, like, you know, this is all in the context of, like, one is, like, about a young man who wants to go to a party, but he has to watch his little brother. One is about these two guys who go to a college party, um, and they're trying to hook up with these two girls, but they end up learning something uncomfortable about themselves. Um, it's just, the writing is tremendous. Like, this is one of those books that you read, or at least these four stories so far, are, like, you read them and you're, like, I didn't believe people could put words in, in this order and make something new like this. Like, it's just so beautiful and incredible. And, and like, distressing. Like, I will say, like, in the first short story, uh, one of the characters does something terrible to a dog, which is, like, normally, like, I just put this book down right now kind of thing for me. But it's... It, that's how good the writing was and how much I wanted to read this. Like, I was like, okay, you know. So, but I will warn you, like, animal cruelty in the first story. Um... But it, it, they're so fantastic. I cannot wait to read the last five. Uh, and I think this is his debut collection, but I expect that we will hear a lot more about this as the year goes on. And I'm, I'm going to go with National Book Award nomination Ooh. for sure. Yeah, I'm willing to throw that down. She's calling it, y'all. I am. Yeah. Just on those four stories. I mean, it, they're amazing. Like, that tells you how great they are. So again, this collection is called A Lucky Man, and it's by Jamel Brinkley. Okay, my last pick for you is a comic um, or graphic novel. Both, sure. Okay, it's called Heavy Vinyl. It's volume one. Uh, it used to, If you're reading it in single issues, it was called Hi-Fi Fight Club. But if you're reading it as a trade, it's called Heavy Vinyl. And this is by Carly Uzdin and Nina Bakueva. Uh, this came out last week from Boom. And y'all, this is about a group of teen girls who work at a local record store but that's their cover. In reality, they are all members of a secret fight club that fights crime and the patriarchy. I don't know what else you want from me. I feel like I can close Book Riot now because this exists. So the main character's name is Chris. She is a kind of awkward, um, introverted girl who is she's queer she's got this job at this bookstore trying to use music as a way to figure out who she is who she wants to be you know she's in that weird kind of teen stage where you're trying on different identities like maybe I'm gonna be goth today maybe I'm gonna be a punk today maybe I'm a cheerleader I don't know like you're just trying them on you're trying them on trying to figure out who you are um so she's decided that working at a, a record store is gonna be how she does that um she's got a crush on a girl whose name I can't remember who is uh, one of her co-workers and then the other girls who work there are also um, facing their own you know you get into their backstories a little bit in the comic um, and then uh, Rosie Riot is the staff's like shared favorite singer she's the lead singer of this band they're coming to the record store to do a signing but she Rosie mysteriously disappears the night before the show and Chris discovers in that moment that her co-workers are this like vigilante fight club and they have decided that their next mission is going to be to find Rosie. So she starts training. And when I say fight club, I mean like literally like they beat up bad guys. So she starts training. Um, she doesn't know how to throw a punch. She's never thrown a punch before. And then off they go to like 
find the lead singer of this girl band. Well, it's not a girl band. She's the only girl in it. Um, and along the way, they discover like mind control and evil corporate music bad guys. And they kick a lot of butt. And it's just fun. I mean, it's just it's just fun. I don't know. I, I loved it so much. It's very feel good. Um, all of the characters, the the the. Fight Club consists of four girls and then their boss, who's a little bit, she's not a teenager, she's a little bit older, but she's very much like their leader. And all of them are like fully fleshed out, well-rounded, interesting girls facing their own stuff at home and in their personal lives. But they bring it to work with them because they're not just, you know, co-workers. They're like this kind of found family, even though a lot of them have perfectly healthy and fine um, family lives at home. You still need, when you're a kid that age, you know, you still need somewhere to like go with your stuff that you don't feel comfortable talking to your parents about. So all of that is is handled very deftly and with like a lot of respect for the teenage experience uh in this book and um the art is really beautiful um all of the characters are like super hot which i you know my experience in record stores is not necessarily true but whatever Uh, i will overlook it it's just great fun so that's heavy vinyl volume one by carly usden and nina vacueva excellent Mm -hmm. So new books. Those are our new books. I have just downloaded a new audiobook that came out, I think, two years ago. It's called The Leper Spy. Have you heard of this? It's nonfiction. No. Okay. So Leper's Spy? No, leper, like a like a person with leprosy. Spy. Yeah. Um, it's a nonfiction biography of a woman named Joey who was a Filipina. She lived in the Philippines in Manila. Um, she had leprosy. And because she had leprosy during World War II, the invading Japanese forces were like mortified of her because I guess in Japanese culture, leprosy is like a very untouchable, bad kind of thing. Um, And so she used that to spy for the allies against the the Japanese invading forces and was like part of the resistance. Um, And then after the war was over, she came to the U.S. to get medical care and all that kind of stuff. And I just, no, I had never heard anything about this book when it came out. It's a small press thing. It came out from Chicago Review Press, but it was big enough to get an audio book. I don't know. But like amazing Filipino spy World War Two is the white hot center of my wheelhouse. (laughs) So if there were dragons in it, I would just be done. But it's. It's not Who fiction. Also so there, are, there are no dragons. Instead of dragons, we have bombers. Yeah. I don't know, but ships, stuff, tanks. So, what about you? That's what I'm reading. What about you? I am going to finish up A Lucky Man, and then I'm going to read East of Eden, which <gasps> I've never read before. And I know, like I've mentioned, that I've never read it before, and I've also mentioned several times that I'm going to read it, and then I don't because you know, <laughs> you know, my cat's name Steinbeck. I'm a huge fan of John Steinbeck. Somehow I had always put East of Eden off as I was reading through all his books because it was huge and I was like, well, I'll get to it. But then when I got to, it was like I was in my 20s when I read all of his stuff, so whatever had been published at that time, um, when I got to the end of it, and this was the only one left, I was like, well, if I read this, then that's it. You know, there's no Bert John Steinbeck. And I just wasn't ready to, like, commit to that yet. It made me sad, so... Now I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to sit by, like, while I'm reading it on my vacation, I'm going to be sitting by my mailbox waiting for the new Karen Thompson Walker, which is making his way to me as we speak. Uh, did you ever read The Age of Miracles? Yes. Oh. That was one of the first books that I read when I started working on oh. it. So she has a new one coming out in January. Yay! Been waiting and waiting and waiting. Like her and, like, Carol Rifka Brent, who wrote Tell the Wolves I'm Home. Those are, like, two books that I was like, I need more. So... <laughs> I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to that. And yeah, so East, I mean, you like, the other day I was talking about East of Eden and you mentioned something, I didn't even know what you were talking about, some word or something. Oh, Tim yeah. Shell? 
Yeah, so. it's a it's a Hebrew word, and it's a big theme in the book. It's it's about um, I don't remember what Timshel specifically means, but it's about like free will. Huh? Um, and I know it's a very popular tattoo that people get after reading. Huh. Well, Easter maybe reading. I'll get one. Like like I'll come back from vacation with it right on my forehead. Maybe. That would be not that surprising, no. actually. Yeah, no. That would not be that Nobody surprising. Nobody would be surprised. The forehead thing would, would, <laughs> would give me pause, but then I would recover quickly. Yeah. Because you're, you're running out of space. You, you give so. me a lecture at BEA. You'd be like, all right, I have to give you the mom talk now. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to cover that up. <laughs> just, just kidding. We all have a bunch yeah, of Yeah, that's, that's fine. fine. So. Not on our faces. No, though. not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so that is all for today. Thanks to everyone for hanging with us. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, Reading Women Podcast. Find them on Twitter, Instagram, and Litzy at The Reading Women or visit readingwomenpodcast.com. I thank you to Warby Parker. Go to warbyparker.com slash all the books and to The Black Witch by Lori Forrest. You can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. If you have any questions or comments, uh, you can find us online. I am on Twitter at Miss Liberty. Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson. Or if you have a minute, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to hear about more books out today and more forehead tattoos, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading! reading.